Thanks for tuning in to another edition of our Roots Running Podcast. Support for this podcast and our team comes from sponsors and charitable donations, giving our athletes resources to continue pursuing their dreams at the highest level. As always, if you like the content we're providing, please subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes and follow our team on Instagram or Twitter at Roots underscore running for updates on how our team is performing. In addition, if you'd like to consider making a charitable donation, please go to our website at rootsrunning.org. A quick thanks to one of our sponsors, 361 USA, whose award-winning quick foam technology provides the necessary support in a lightweight shoe to keep our athletes healthy while pushing their performance limits. And I, I mean, I think the way that our brains work as humans is we want to simplify things. We want to be able to say this is black or white or this mileage is the... Mileage is the secret key. Yeah, and that's... And mileage is a really easy thing to track. And so that's it. Like, that becomes the, the contributing factor. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Roots Running Podcast. I'm Richie Hansen, coach of the Roots Running Project, and I'm here with my associate head coach, Jeff Bollet. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about mileage and the golden rule of mileage, how some people stay so committed to you need to hit a target number regardless of whether you're high school athlete having to stay below or above a certain number, whether you're a professional marathoner having to be above a certain number to call yourself a true marathoner. Um, so kind of what our philosophy, our concepts might be surrounding that. And Jeff, as you and I were talking kind of off, off microphone, we don't really have a philosophy. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's kind of interesting when you start diving into what is the appropriate volume, how to progress somebody, how to keep them healthy while doing that, and kind of the different aspects you have to take into place. And as we were saying, like there's so many different topics that kind of stem from just one simple part of training, which is just the overall volume of which that training is performed at. So as we get deeper into this, um, when you view mileage and view what your athletes should be at. Let, actually, let's let's start there. Kind of take us through what your athletes are operating at mileage-wise, and I'll, I'll say what our athletes are operating mileage-wise to give people some, some reference points. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the real honest answer is uh, I don't know. So, uh, with, with the guy, the guys I have right now, um, for, uh, a couple of those guys, I give them weekly mileage goals and it progresses or undulates in a very linear style from the suggestions. And for a couple of guys, um, they completely self-select um so uh i don't i don't know exactly uh what they're doing now the guys that have this uh, uh suggestions they're in the range of 60 to 80 
uh, a week, and those and those are the guys that have been been with me since uh, September. And they're they're all fairly recent college graduates. Yes, and operating between fourteen flat and fourteen forty for five k. Correct. For instance, yeah. and would you say that their their event targets right now are five k to ten? 1500 to five and of those how many do you see eventually moving up to the marathon distance yeah so so right now uh pretty much everybody yeah well everybody in the group they're kind of their stated goal for the for the spring early summer track season is the 5k like that's their primary and some may hop in a 10k here and there and some may do some some 1500s but kind of the primary for everybody is the is the 5k um of those guys i can see i can see two of them you know if if they if they stick it out meaning if it's fulfilling and and you know and, and there's they continue to see progression and and fulfillment from from the time and effort expenditure, I can see two of those guys eventually moving to the marathon in the next three to five years, um, depending on on where on where uh, times and and uh, performance play out. Yeah, and that's I mean that's I would say that's pretty similar for our group. We have anywhere from fifteen hundred meter athletes up to marathon distance athletes between both male and female. Um, Aaliyah is our highest mileage athlete and she can go up to a hundred miles a week. Um, she's been consistently around 90, um, with our lowest mileage athlete being a 1500 meter runner in Andy, and he hovers probably around 50 miles a week. Mm. Um, most of our athletes tend to range anywhere between 65 to 80. Um, Noah transitioning more to the marathon. He's hovering mostly around 80 right now. Which is really interesting because, like, I, I don't know your thoughts on marathoning, but most people you hear of at the elite level, at least, if you want to be a marathoner, you have to go up above 90, which for Noah, most of his mileage up to this point has been 70 to 80 with just a couple key weeks at 90 going into Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, if we start looking at, like, the marathon distance specifically – do you feel like there's a bottom uh, at the at the post collegiate level that there's like a bottom level that you start looking at when it comes to mileage, or do you feel like you kind of see what the athlete's ability is, but you're hesitant to progress that mileage based on what they've done in their previous history? And obviously, we're going to shoot off into multiple different facets here because then we're talking about adaptability. Yeah. But where do you think if you had one of your athletes? starting to move up to that marathon distance, at what point would you feel comfortable with them being able to handle that distance relative to the volume that they're currently doing? Yeah, I think, I think one, one concept that comes to mind with all that, um, that, that I think, I think a lot, a lot of people focus on one aspect and that's the minimum effective dose. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, take that concept and they really focus on the minimum aspect of that and they miss the effective part of that and i think if you're going to be an elite marathoner the minimum effective dose is still a pretty big dose relative to what you could be doing as a as a distance runner um 
Now that being said, I would say I have a decent bit of empirical evidence that shows that you can be a really good marathoner running 100 miles a week, and you can be a really good marathoner running 140 miles a week, and you could probably be a pretty respectable, even very good marathon runner if you're not running triple digits. Um, but but I think there's I, I, th I think people want to sensationalize uh, running a lot, but kind of to your to your point there is like who is the athlete and and what and what and what's the history and and I think kind of just your brief mention of Noah is a good example like Noah doesn't have a huge history of a lot of mileage and and so you're working with him to progress to that and right now his minimum effective dose is going to be different than what his minimum effective dose could be in a year or in in in, in two years so I think that's a really important thing to to consider is where the athlete has been and just because it's the goal race is now the marathon doesn't mean you just go to some some golden standard of of, of triple digits or, or or whatever because that's what uh, Dina had done in the past or, or whoever the athlete might 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 be um, the attentiveness to, to reality of, of who the athlete is and progressing and working towards um, an appropriate minimum effective dose at that at that time for that athlete. And I guess that's probably a vague answer in, 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 in dancing around, but at the same time, like, I don't think you can pin someone down for, for an exact for number. number. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's almost like, like you and I have talked about in the past of the romanticism that is 100 miles a week. Right. It's almost like the four-flat barrier for the miler to be an effective marathoner, everyone associates it with that hundred mile a week mark. At least. Um, at yeah. least. Yeah. yeah. But like, I mean, I use the example all the time with our athletes of someone like Diego Estrada who ran 60, 48 as his debut half off of 70 miles a week. Right. So that mileage, that mileage number I mean, the quality of the miles has to matter too, and the cumulative effect of those, that quality before jumping to quantity. You see some coaches jumping the gun with that quality by switching primarily to quantity right away and then trying to bring it back to quality, and then athletes tend to get a little bit hurt as well, yeah. or they have a difficult time trying to improve their speed yeah. after jumping that quality. Yeah, But that's also where the biological variability of the athlete comes into play. Because as we were talking with Aaliyah, she's someone that does enjoy a little bit more higher, higher mileage because she finds some of her speed in strength. Yeah. Whereas someone like Noah gets in shape really, really quickly. Yeah. And so that the speed component tends to be a little bit more of an emphasis with him versus the volume aspect. Because yeah. he hasn't had the history that someone like Aaliyah has had. Yeah. Yeah, I, one one of the things we were talking about off microphone uh, is um, you know one, one of the things that was really neat back um, you know several months ago was uh, uh, Kipchoge's training was posted um, whatever that was it was a pretty good pretty good chunk of training 
but, but I think what a lot of folks gravitated to and just kind of looking at some of the message board commentary on that was was the the fixation was on how much he was running um, the thing that stood out to me was how frequently he was running marathon pace um, so specific work and and also the volume of specific work he was doing and that just goes back to what we were talking about um, you know how you how you progress that and you know how many he's run six or seven marathons now and it'd be awesome to see what that training was like for the first marathon versus now how often was he going to a 30k run at you know marathon goal pace which in that training block from the fall it was you know every three or four days basically you know so before his first marathon was at 25k every five days how has that progressed would be really interesting to see but uh i i think i think that's the big takeaway from for me is that it's really easy to go oh man he's running you know 200k a week uh or 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 more um but really where where it comes back to is he's doing 50 plus k a week at marathon specific pace so that that minimum effective dose of what he's doing is really uh, specific work and it does not to be taken away from the fact that he is running a lot but he's also one of the best if not the best marathoners of all time i think that i think his average what is he, he hasn't broke 205 once he's yeah. been under 205 yeah. every run so obviously there's a lot of other factors genetic pieces there but for for me the 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 takeaway of that is just looking at what he's done and how he thrives as a marathoner and that comes from running at least my lens is from doing uh, specific work frequently yeah and that kind of goes against when you when you see some concepts of the percentage of intensity within a relative volume block that an athlete should be performing so that their injury risk doesn't increase right where and same thing with like we were talking about earlier about linear progressions relative to mileage of You've heard the concept of ten, no more than 10% per week for X number of weeks before having to take a down week or a recovery week. But every athlete obviously is different. When it comes to deciding when to progress and how to progress an athlete, it's a little bit of that is by feel based on that individual athlete. When you're deciding whether to jump an athlete in volume, are there certain metrics that you're looking at relative to speeds that they're hitting certain repeats, whether it's length of time they've been a certain mileage, um, number of weeks at that specific mileage? Yeah, so I, I guess the the question that I ask for just about everything, but specifically with this is why. Um, and... And in a lot of ways, I think how many miles an athlete is running goes to why are they running from a standpoint of, well, you know, the assignment today, today at practice, we did five miles at lactate threshold. And then we did a couple of sets of 
45 seconds at mile effort, 30 seconds easy. So overall, the workout totaled about six miles. Well, you need a warm-up and you need a cool-down in there. And so overall, everybody got about 12 miles today. So that's just going to going to happen. Well, um, in, in thinking about the why of that, well, what's tomorrow? Tomorrow is a regeneration day for us. So the primary purpose of the day is to, to regenerate, to feel better, to, to recover. So it's, it's a little different than just saying it's an easy day. Um, and so, well, someone might have a goal of 80 miles for the week. And so they need to, to run 10 or 12 miles tomorrow if they feel like they got hit by the bus um, with the goal of the day being to recover, hopefully I've educated the athlete in a way that they recognize that recovery is, is the goal and not reaching some, some number that in many ways is arbitrary. Uh, And so maybe they only do five miles or maybe they get in the pool for an hour. And so at the end of the week, they don't get that, that 10 or that 12 by their name, but being in the pool for an hour help, help, uh, recovery. Um, you know, the, the other thought there is, you know, again, from the why standpoint, you know, we work out in the morning and, uh, as, as we, we believe that there's, you know, there's ways to spur recovery and exercise, you know, this was a hard concept for me to grasp when I first learned it, but even though it's more exercise, eventually exercise can be a recovery modality. Um, once you've basically primed the endocrine system to, to respond in a certain way to exercise, you're, you know, with exercise, you're getting hormonal response. So specifically testosterone and HGH, which are going to do good things from a, a, a recovery standpoint. Um, so if you run a workout in the morning, well, if you go for a 20 or 30 minute easy run in the afternoon, ultimately that's helping recovery. And at the same time, it's adding to your weekly mileage. But it's the bigger point there is is a, a, a recovery piece. So yes, at the end of the week, like, oh, that gave me another three or four miles, but that's such a oversimplification of what the mileage is doing. The mileage is actually helping you recover. If you're adding another three to five miles on on workout days and you're someone that has, you know, built up and run for a while, you can actually exercise and recover, which might be a foreign concept to some people. And that can be the same case with ancillary training as well. Um, so, so again, from that concept of why, how many, mi- how many miles a week are you running? Um, it's there as kind of a guidepost. And again, I do that in a very linear fashion, which might get frowned upon by most people or a lot of people, but it, it serves as a guidepost for the athlete to like strive for something, but then they're dealing with the reality of the day and what do I need to do? Do I need to recover? Do I need to warm up and cool down? And then here's the assignment, here's the work that we need, and that's just going to generate a certain amount of mileage. And then you kind of get to the end of the week and you recognize, well, here's here's the number I ended up with. Um, yeah. So a, a long answer there. 
<laughs> well, and I, 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 I mean, you touch on a couple, couple key points. It's like people frown upon even the concept of like junk mileage, and like you're saying in that concept, the regeneration period. That's kind of the purpose of the junk mileage. Right. It's like it's it's a flush. It's not yeah. we're not trying to tax the aerobic system at yeah. that point. It's just to flush the system. Yeah, elevated heart rate, elevated elevated blood flow, and there's neurological benefits. movement. Yeah. Like so, there is a. I mean, that's the the was it the Kenyan slow distance run like yeah. for for your recovery stuff. Like we we may put a pace for recovery runs as more of a guide of like don't exceed that pace just based on like what the workload may have been before. Right. Um, same thing with, with when it comes to mileage for our athletes, we'll, we'll give them ranges of like targets to hit. But if the target is like 70 to 80 miles that week and they're at 69, like I'm not going to harp that they didn't get that one extra mile just yeah. as much as if they hit 83, I'm not yeah. going to harp that they didn't stick as 80 as their cap. Right. Um, but we'll kind of structure it too. We're like on some of the non-workout days where they're listed as recovery. There's kind of an arbitrary number that's associated with it. If they feel like they want to go out and run seven, they can go out and run seven. If they want to go run five or 10 or 12, yeah. it's based on kind of how they feel. Or if they want to split that up into doubles, they're, yeah. they're listening to how their body's responding. Exactly. And that's, I mean, you and I are, are guiding the mileage on those workout days. So yeah. we know that that number is going to be high relative. Yeah. And so if they're a very low mileage athlete, that kind of builds in some of those potential days off or a cross training specific day. And I'm not a true fan of a, a day off, um, per se, partially because I feel like if I'm structuring the workload appropriately, they don't necessarily need a day off as much yeah. as they need a deload day yeah. or a, maybe they have a cross training day, but they're still moving. Right. So the idea of a pure day off, I think sometimes can inhibit some of what we're talking about tissue regeneration because movement it's, is what causes regeneration. Yes. And the efficiency that the nervous system requires needs some of that stimulus, even if it's not an intense stimulus. Exactly. To be able to maintain what it's already built. Yeah. You start go, go, going to issues of blood chemistry changes that, um, I mean, I'm sure there's people listening that take ample days off and I'm sure there's people that, you know, run consistently. They, you know, they streak and they probably recognize that, you know, you run for six weeks in a row and you take a day off and then the next day you actually feel worse after the day off than, than you normally have. And that's just because there's a change in neuromuscular blood chemistry, all the things that contribute to the physiology of running that don't happen on that day. And so the body's got to take a day or two to catch back up to that. Well, and that then begs the question when you're talking about beginners, yeah. because it could be an adult beginner. It could be a high school athlete that's joining cross country for the first time. Both of us coach recreational yep. runners online some of those athletes are running 60 to 90 miles a week and some of those athletes are running 30 miles a week yeah what i may do for the athlete that's running 30 miles a week i don't expect them to necessarily run every day like the elite runner is 
but I want them to move. So I might prescribe in there some ancillary work plus like a 30 minute walk through the neighborhood just to get their body moving. So there's other ways to kind of make up the difference of what the total number for mileage might be within that week just to get that movement based concept under incorporated. Exactly. And that's, you know, I don't know who I heard this from, but the phrase, I love the phrase that motion is lotion. Uh, you know, and that's, and that's, that's the thing. So whether it's just going out for a walk or doing, you know, five to 10 minutes of a general strength routine, like there's benefit in that, that, that contributes to running performance that even though it's not running, may be hard to see for some people, but overall it contributes to body health, which I would say then contributes to running performance. Well, and that spins off on a topic you and I are going to talk about in our newest podcast on our side project. Yeah. Our, our side project being more of a sports medicine podcast as opposed to a running specific yeah. one and talking about when to incorporate something like massage or body work or soft tissue work. Yeah. Because a lot of people associate that as their recovery yeah. modality. And you and I are both under the same concept that like tissue regeneration, most of that takes place when they're actually loading the yeah. tissue. Yeah. And so at what point do you incorporate soft tissue work? Both of us being soft tissue therapists. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's a lead in to kind of what we're talking about here with, with mileage and how to handle it safely but then also how to recover from it for sure. soft tissue work being a part to incorporate, but it shouldn't be viewed at as the thing that's going to keep you healthy. Right. Because the ancillary work, the progression of that stimulus is kind of more the key concept. Yeah. 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 And I think just in like a, it's an aside, but it's related like the concept of progression. And I've said a couple of times now, like I tend to progress things in a, in a linear fashion, but the reality is like, that's what I'll lay out. And then what actually ends up happening is not linear at all because we're adapting on the day, you know, Hey, let's, you know, and whether, whether, whether that's input from the coach, from myself, uh, or from the athlete, just knowing their body and paying attention to themselves. Like, at the end of the day, when you line up five weeks, 12 weeks, 20 weeks, like it's not going to be a, a linear fashion, even though it's designed in, in that way. Um, so it's that, it's a delicate balance. I think of, we want things to be linear because that is simplistic and it makes sense to our brain. But when we allow ourselves to be a little more detached from that emotionally, we're able to let the the reality play out, and that reality is rarely, if ever, linear in how it all comes together. Yeah, I had a I was asked by an athlete one time when he was on a recruiting visit about what type of periodization model I incorporate when it comes to volume and intensities. Whether I use a linear one, a variable one, I was like, it kind of depends. At certain parts in the year, we might use a linear one, or maybe we're using a linear model as it relates to a stimulus, not necessarily to overall volume during the week. Maybe sometimes we're using a a variable one, depending on what phase of training an athlete is in. So your periodization can sometimes get a bad rap because nothing nothing falls directly according to plan, but you have to be adaptable to kind of switch gears 
linear yeah. periodization with overall mileage may still take place yeah. when you're using variable mileage within a specific stimulus or vice versa. Yeah. 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 No, totally. I think, I think periodization is utterly important from the standpoint of it shows that you're thinking about the concept of organizing but to well should that be the case and then should we go away from using the the term periodization use more like just global planning sure like that's that's, a, that's kind of or programming i guess like yeah and and i tend to favor the word programming um but i, I think i think people have associated the word periodization specifically with a philosophical approach to periodization and I would look at periodization as the concept of progressing. So not a block periodization or, you know, or, or linear or whatever, whatever methodology you want to apply to it, complex systems, whatever, parallel programming. But, but more so the fact that I use periodization in the sense of I've thought about this and I've tried to be organized in how I progress the athlete from point A to point B. And then the reality, like you just said, is like it's going to shift based on the reality. And so what starts out as, as the plan on week one may be different week three or week 15, whatever it is. Uh, I think one of the most liberating things for me with periodization was the concept of not being emotionally attached to the plan. And, um, for a long time I was like, you got to follow the plan. And it's not to say that you don't trust the plan, but when you do that blindly more so than being attentive to reality, you, you, you limit yourself. And when you set up a plan that, you know, there's no chance you're going to follow it, but it's still the best plan. Hypothetically, uh, you know, that you have a baseline to make adjustments from. Yeah. One of the best, quotes i saw so we're obviously big fans of the v hill system and we're fortunate that he's a he's a mentor to our group in his text he talks about the periodization of like using your vvo2 to kind of outline your your what your interval repeat should be yeah and i had a question from a college coach one time of how how to progress the interval paces throughout a season um, whether to go 85%, 87%, 88% of their VVO2, as Coach V. Hill kind of outlines in his book. But the key phrasing that Coach V. Hill uses relative to that concept is this may take some athletes a season sure. to develop. It may take them years to develop. And it's all relative. But then the other thing that you can look at flip side of – if you're using such a percentage-based model of 85% of someone's VVO2 and you're eventually trying to get to like a 92% of someone's VVO2 by the end of the season, well, who's to say that by the end of the season they haven't progressed fitness-wise that 92% is actually 85% of what their current fitness is sure. relative to 92% of their beginning fitness at the beginning of the season? Yeah. And so – we have to be careful sometimes of like kind of locking into what we want to start at arbitrarily at the beginning of the season, what we want to finish at at the end of the season, because it's not going to always equate to that. Yeah. When I go back to someone like Noah progressing his mileage, where he was only running for the most part 80 miles a week going into Chicago, 
I heard some of the criticism being that we should have had his mileage higher. And it's like, yeah, like that would have been awesome. But yeah. like we couldn't because right. he he hadn't shown the adaptability to handle what we had already been giving him up to that point. Yeah. So adaptability is really the big thing. Yes. And knowing when to progress that, sometimes it, 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 it takes being around the athlete enough to kind of be confident that when you progress them, their injury risk is not going to significantly increase. Yeah. But even when those increases do occur, it's taking monitoring of those increases to know if they need to back off a little bit and when to back back on or yeah. to push it even more. Yeah. And and I would say that that's just and that's comes from more than just volume. You know, whether that's how often you're hitting some kind of intense workout or the volume of that intensity, like all those, all those things you need to be attentive to as you, as you adapt through. Do you have, do you, do you tend to progress volume first or intensity first? Do you have a preference? Cause the rule of thumb within at least healthcare yeah. is you don't change more than one stimulus at a time. time. Yeah. But at the same time, like sometimes that does tend to be the case where it's like you haven't, like I, whenever I get a new athlete, it, and they they kind of hone in on a volume that they've been comfortable with. I tend to scale it back maybe five to ten miles per week initially, while we're increasing some of the intensity to see how they handle our system before we start increasing that volume more back to what they're familiar with in the past. Yeah. But even within that, I mean, a volume of an interval may change relative to an athlete versus a volume of a tempo. Yeah. Versus or threshold. I hate the term tempo, but threshold versus like an, a, a, a more intense long run, for example. Yeah. So uh, I guess I've a couple of ways to think about it. So first is that specifically with the roots athletes right now, the guys that have been here the longest, they got here in September. So that's, that's only six months, which is they're babies. Yeah. I mean, it's some time, but it's still new. And so I was they're you know, they're in a new state, they're working new jobs, they're fresh out of college. So there's at altitude so, for the first time. Alt- exactly. So, so many changes for them. And then, you know, the, the next group of guys, they got here in January. So I've been pretty purposeful in, I, 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 I guess I would say, exercising a conservative approach across the board, whether that's with mileage or intensity or ancillary components, all of that. So what I, what I increase first, it it has been a little bit of both have been increasing at the same time, just as the athletes are feeling things out and changing. And a a good example is, um, one of the athletes, Will Norris, um, he was, he was rocking it. Uh, this fall, he ran 31.50 in a 10K road race up here, and we talked after the race, kind of, you know, what what he and Glenn kind of felt that they were missing in training, and so we added some intensity, and Glenn responded pretty positively to that, and Will basically went through a two-and-a-half-month period of, like, maybe he was a little overtrained, and then he, you know did some traveling for the holidays and it, it honestly hasn't been until the last two weeks that he's kind of popped back. And a big reason for that is I chopped his intensity back down. And there's, I mean, there's t- 
tons of factors, but but w w one of the things that we just changed is we reduced how much intensity he was doing and in reflecting on where we were, like, all right, you ran 31.50 in a road race 10K at altitude. That's pretty exciting. And maybe I got a little greedy with with assigning the intensity to him. So we made adjustments with that intensity and that's hard to do and you think that that's going to be what's going to help the athlete improve but just being attentive to that reality and saying hey let's reduce something because we're not seeing workouts or, or race performances where they want to be so changing that can be hard but ultimately it seems like it's it's coming back around now. Well, and that's something that Coach Hill had said when he was coaching both Dina and Meb going into the Athens Olympics was anytime they put Meb over 105 miles a week, Meb would get hurt, whereas Dina could tolerate 125, 130 and be fine. And you shared similar stories about Mark Plachis and yeah. and Bob Kennedy. Yep. Yeah, I, I, can, I can remember when I was getting ready for my first marathon – and, and I worked for Mark, and I said, ah, there's a world championship gold medalist. I should probably ask him, you know, it's a good resource. And Mark's comment was, Jeff, I could run 100 miles a week forever, but I started going up, and, and I'd get hurt. And I remember reading an article uh, when Bob Kennedy was getting ready for his first marathon, and he talked about training for the 5K, for all those years in the late nineties and early two thousands. And, you know, and, and his comment was like, why do I just want to add mileage? Because when I increase the duration of my, uh, of my race, meaning like going up to the 10 K or the, or the marathon, where am I going to go? If I'm already running 120 miles a week and I'm training for a 5 K. So, I mean, on one hand you could look at it and say, I'll shift the specificity of training, but at the same time, it just brings up a good point of why do you just need to run more mileage? It's not the only component that contributes to your to your success. Well, and that brings us into an interesting concept that you've you've written an article on. You 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 sent me a couple of the diagrams based off of it of the hub versus the matrix model, right? And kind of the stuff you and I have both talked about, I think we both kind of fall into the matrix model is there's so many factors that kind of play in, but kind of explain both. And for anyone in, listening at home, we'll, we'll post these up when we post the article or post the podcast. But I love the idea of simplifying both because there's those coaches that are very, very centrally focused on mileage yeah. without taking a lot of the other factors as intertwining capabilities. Yeah, so where this idea came to me is I, I, I can't think of how many conversations I've been in where, and I was very fortunate to, to coach Paul Roberts uh, through his high school career, you know, in fifth at Foot Locker, qualified for World Cross Country Championships. And so you have a very talented athlete, but I, I can't count how many conversations where you'd be talking and pretty soon in the conversation, someone would go, well, how many miles a week is Paul running? And, and I, I mean, I think the way that our brains work as humans is we want to simplify things. We want to be able to say, this is black or white, or this mileage is the mileage is secret key. Yeah. And that's, and mileage is a really easy thing to track. And so that's it. Like 
that becomes the, the contributing factor. And so this hub model is basically like a, like a bike wheel or like a wheel. You have a hub, a central hub. And my contention is many coaches operate like this, that mileage is, that's what you're trying to attain. So mileage is the central hub and then everything else, your ancillary work, your faster workouts, your sleep habits, your eating habits, all those things circle around that, around that central hub. And all those things serve to allow you to run more mileage because from that view, from that philosophy is running more mileage, mileage being the one thing that contributes to your improvement as, as a, as a runner. Yeah. It's very simplistic. Like yes. mileage is the end all be all. Yeah. Everything else has to, it's, it's like the, the, the mileage is the sun Yes, and everything else that may potentially affect that mileage is circulating around it. Exactly. Exactly. So you, you still incorporate other things as a coach and you still value those other things, but the lens is that you're doing all those things to run more miles because more miles is what makes you equates faster, equates faster times. Yeah. And, and my counter to that is what I labeled the matrix model. And so it still takes in all the, all the other, all the components, ancillary training, mileage, harder workouts, you know, sleep, nutrition, and instead of it being a central hub of mileage and and all these spokes that go off of it, the matrix model would say that everything impacts each other. So it's it's not it's not simple. It's not it's not black and white and and it hurts my head to look at and to think about. But that's honestly what I feel we're charged to do as a coach is to look at our athletes and figure out what makes that athlete better, what helps them improve. And for some athletes, running more miles is going to help them improve. Some athletes, maybe they need to sleep more. That's the biggest thing that's going to help them improve. It just, it depends on the athlete, depends on where they are in the training cycle. It depends on where they are in life. And and I think that matrix model encompasses that a little bit more because it takes into account the fact that there's so many variables that that contribute to to performance. Yeah, it's like taking the financial advisor that might be working 60, 70 hours a week and trying to implement a 100-mile-a-week training program on top of that. Right. The risk of injury is going to go through the roof. Exactly. Between stress, lack of recovery, emotional fatigue. Yeah versus the high school athlete that they might have recovery down to a T because they've done nothing but sleep on the couch all summer. Yeah. And now they're increasing volume and intensity very rapidly. Yeah. It's like every, everything is intertwined. You increase mileage. It may affect recovery. It may affect nutrition. It may affect stress. Yep. And so you have to very carefully weigh each different, factor if you're going to start incorporating compound olympic lifts yeah how is that going to affect the mileage and the intensity that at which you're doing them and on which days are you incorporating them yeah and i think what one of the big things that i that um that i i stress with with this matrix model versus the hub model is that 
within the matrix model, you you start you you you're forced as a coach and as an athlete to recognize the importance of all the different components of training. Uh, for example, um, uh, with the, the roots athletes and with some of the high school and, and with the high school athletes that I that I used to coach, we would do a day that I label high demand neural training. So if you would show up at practice that day, it looked like we were doing a sprinter workout, and it was two hours of stuff that looked like that. Well, at the end of the workout, you didn't have any mileage to go to your training log and add on, but you did two hours worth of very valuable work. So it, it becomes this, this, this issue of, can you look at your training log and know that, well, yeah, in two hours you could have run, you know, you could have got your 10 mile run in and a warm up and a cool down stretch or whatever, but can you be okay with not having that 10 extra miles knowing you did the high demand neural training, which is really valuable. And, and that's, there's a learning curve to that. It can be hard to accept because you're so tied to that mileage component that you're not willing to give up that number for some other component of training that may be as equally or more valuable than than those miles that you're quote unquote missing. Well, and as distance runners, they're I think they're prone to not not focus as much on those speed neuro days, right? Because you don't see the value when you're running a marathon. Right. As much. Yeah. Even though the the recovery, the regenerative capabilities of those days is significant. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, 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 and so that's where, it, again, that's where it comes back to is valuing all your components of training. And I don't have to say, I'm not meaning to say like that every piece has equal value, but if it's in the training program, if the coach has thought about it. Hopefully the, the coach isn't just doing it for fluff, but the coach understands the why behind you're doing it, why, why, the, why the coach is asking the athlete to do it. And then in turn, there's a trust component there and the athlete goes like, okay, I can, I can do this. I understand that it's going to make me better or it creates an opportunity to ask a question and then there's understanding there. What about the idea of tracking recovery and the ability to track recovery using whether it be data metrics, rated perceived exertion, recovery scores. Yeah, so I, I think it's I think it's massively important um, from from the basic concept of gains are made in recovery or growth happens in, in recovery. I think you need to be attentive to it. Which going back to what we talked about at the beginning, like yeah, there may be I may assign X amount of miles for a week, but if the goal of the day is recovery, the athlete understands that. And so they may sacrifice some, some arbitrary number or some goal number in the name of recovery. So when it comes to, to how you track recovery, I think, you know, it'd be really nice to have heart rate variability or omega wave concepts, uh, you know, those things all cost money. And if you have it, great, because you're going to get some really awesome information. I think you can do some, I think you, I think you can do some heart rate variability stuff with your phone with like a, for like five or $10 a yeah. month. So it's not too bad. Cheap apps, really. Yeah. Yeah. But I, 
go back to a story that a mentor of mine, Dan Paff, shared with me when he was working with UK Athletics in the lead-up to the 2012 London Olympic Games, and they had a good chunk of change and a lot of medical staff. And, you know, Dan's comment was the thing that seemed to be the most reliable was the rate of perceived exertion that the athletes were doing. And so, yeah, they could do blood work and yeah, they could do heart rate variability stuff and that had value to it. But the trending that carried the most weight was just feedback from the athlete, like something that's really simple, just asking the athlete how they feel. Uh, a good friend of mine who I've talked about some, uh, John O'Malley, he, um, had a really talented group of, of athletes uh, a couple of years ago, and several of those athletes are now running collegiately. He happened to see one of those guys over the winter break, and the comment from the athlete was, I just wish my coach would ask me how I'm feeling. Um, and that's really telling that something as simple as asking an athlete how they're feeling one, just lets the athlete know that you're engaging with them. But it's such a simple thing for a coach to ask that I think gets overlooked. Um, so just asking an athlete how they're doing and you get that information, you can make infinite amounts of adjustments to the daily training based on the response there. And that's something, too, that takes a little learning on the coach's part. Yeah. Because that that's a standard question I ask all our athletes yeah. when they get out of the car, like, how are you feeling today? Or like, how's everything going? And the response you get can vary athlete to athlete. Some athletes yes. can say, I feel good. And they could tell you that every single day yeah. without any context behind it. Yeah. Whereas other athletes will go into every detail of what yeah. body part feels like what yeah. as they move up. So it's, it's, it's obviously it's, it takes learning the athlete, but it also takes learning how to ask the right question for that specific athlete to get the desired information to give you what you need to adjust the workout accordingly. Yeah. I ha had an athlete at the high school and he had three responses. Okay, fine, and good. Like, uh, Matthew, how do you feel? And like most of the time it was fine. If he was okay, like that for most of us, that would equate as, as bad. Yeah. <laughs> and if he felt good, like that was like, oh man, we got he's ready to go. in a race. Yeah. yeah. Like he's ready to, he's ready to roll here. But it, again, it just, it took time. And just to your point, I probably should have diversified my questioning to him, but, uh, you learn that over time and you can start making sense of even the most simplistic answers by just paying attention to the athlete. And, and trends over time. Now, instead of talking about like progressing mileage over the course of like time, like mm -hmm. when you're looking at how to improve someone's ability to handle more, um, what about how much does your mileage vary throughout a season? Yeah. Um, again, like I, I'm, I'm very open in saying that I tend to set up the hypothetical plan in a very linear fashion. And um, I, I would say that there's probably a 20 to 25% plus or minus um, window off of, of what the average is. So let's just use 50 miles a week 
for easy math for my simple brain. Um, and so, you know, a 20 or 25% difference is going to be, you know, 30 to 40 miles, 35 to 40 miles on the low end and 60 to 65 miles on the high end. And so some, some type of progression through that and, you know, uh, working to progress towards peak mileage and then balancing the intensity through that, uh, as well. Um, with the roots athletes right now, I, I work on a three week cycle. Um, and our third week is a unloading week. The second week of the cycle is a higher intensity week. So week number one tends to be the highest volume of the cycle. Week number two isn't that far off in volume, but the intensity is higher. And then week number three is an unloading across the board of volume and intensity, even though there's both, even though it's, there's still plenty of intensity there, it's just less than, than, than the other weeks. So, um, and those ranges, uh, on that recovery week, it's it's a 15 to 25% cut from that, from week one, kind of that peak mileage um, in, in there. Uh, at least that's how it's working out. We've been doing that for nine weeks now, and everybody's healthy and performing well, so we're going to keep working with, with that right now. Yeah, and that's, I mean, when you look at the at our athletes, it's it's like we might operate within a linear model to get them up to what our goal range might be. Yeah. But then I may keep that range static over time while adjusting yeah. the different volumes of certain stimuluses um, throughout individual cycles. Yeah. So someone like Noah or say someone like Willie, Willie just ran 6308 at the half marathon in Houston he was dealing with an IT band issue last last spring. And so although he tends to be someone that benefits greatly off of a little bit higher mileage due to that IT band injury, we had to treat him a little bit more conservatively. So we got up to maybe slightly below what ideally he would like to be at from a total mileage standpoint but keeping that mileage consistent over the course of time just to allow his body to adapt to coming off injury to be able to handle that volume, but very gradually increasing various stimuluses within that mileage. Uh, so one of, the, one of the things I learned from Dan, and, and Dan Path primarily works with jumpers and sprinters, but Dan has also coached everything, um, is most of us have heard of the concept of stimulate and adapt. You introduce a stimulus and you adapt to that. And Dan would say, well, yeah, you got to stimulate and adapt, but you also need to allow for stabilization and actualization. Mm -hmm. And stabilization basically means that you can see consistency in that adaptation. And um, actualization is not just being able to perform the task or the ability again, like stabilization, but it's being able to perform it in various conditions. Um, so to your point about stabilizing mileage, like that, that, that just gets at that point. You're just, you're allowing that athlete to, to really just take it in 
and then you're tinkering with little things here and there to see how they how they change or if they change. Um, yeah, especially if we're about to make an in, like a, a jump in mileage, we, you want to start introducing those upticks yeah. early to allow their body to experience what that volume feels like, but then go back to a very comfortable volume yeah. before then stabilizing at that higher volume. Yeah. And just as much as you want to deload before key competitions to allow that body a chance to recover prior to without, without de innervating the nervous system and, and, um, losing any sort of fitness that they've gained up to that point. Right. Um, allow them to perform on the day without, without feeling the, the cumulative fatigue that they may have experienced with that higher stabilizing volume. Yeah. Yeah. I think a real simple way that I have applied this, uh, I'll just use an example of lactate threshold and we may, or we, we, the athlete comes into the season at a particular fitness. And so we have that pace set up. Let's just call it six minute pace for lactate threshold. And even though performance at some point in the season in the training block would dictate that they could increase that pace, of, of lactate threshold, we might keep the pace the same, but we're going to increase the volume of that that, that 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 we do at that pace. So maybe at one point we're running four miles at six minute pace. Well, maybe we work that up to six miles at six minute pace. So that pace doesn't necessarily change, even though performance says based on some chart that we could change it. We're going to let that that element of fitness stabilize and actual have actualization, but we're, we're going to still stimulate and hope for adaptation in another, in another way with that as well. So it seems more complex than it really is, but again, we're just, we get caught up in chasing like, Oh, there's a new fitness. We got to go faster instead of thinking about how we can do different things with, with a certain intensity. Yeah, it's like not when we look back at every one of our athletes training, not one cycle is replicable because there's certain aspects that are tweaked within, whether it be intensities at certain workouts or volume of certain workouts or volume of total weekly mileage. We're, We're learning as much from the athlete as much as they're learning how to adapt to whatever it is that we're throwing at them. Yeah. And so when it comes to people trying to adjust if they're self-coached or if they're, they have a coach that's adjusting things, you have to be wary of jumping anything yeah. quickly, yeah. whether it be the speed at which you're working out at or the volume at which you're trying to increase your mileage at. Right. Which, I mean, you could, you could argue when you start looking at, uh, I mean, high school programs that are running relatively high mileage, not saying they're incorrect in doing so. It's just, in the societal culture that we're in, like I have a hard time believing that most middle school athletes have had the ability to adapt to the 30, 40 miles a week to be able to handle 80 miles a week by the time that they're a senior. Right. So high school athletes, I mean, they're in the largest developmental growth curve. Whereas like adults, at least they've 
they've hit that growth curve, but maybe there's some other stressors outside that they need to take into account that ultimately affects their ability to handle intensity, volume, or just the training in general of two workouts a week, three workouts a week, five workouts a week. Yeah. Everyone has a different environment that they're operating within. Right. Yeah, exactly. And all those variables come into play. (laughs) Exactly, which is why it's more important to take into account the matrix model versus the hub model. Yeah. And not to neglect one component of training that might balance out the overall system. Yeah. That includes recovery work, whether it be PT, massage. That includes ancillary work with strength training. Yeah your own self-care of making sure you're getting enough sleep and quality nutrition, making sure the caloric intake is still relatively high and the majority of those calories is, is fairly healthy. Yeah. And then proper sound progression of performance, both in terms of what the stimulus might be that you're incorporating and then the overall volume of what that intensity might be. Yeah. Now, obviously, like if you're trying to train for a marathon, it's very hard to go into a marathon running 20 miles a week and expect to perform well. Right. That's the minimum effective dose from earlier. Right. Exactly. Just as it would be to run 180 miles a week and expect to have the speed that it takes to run a very, very fast mile. Yeah. So every athlete is a little bit different. But you also shouldn't put the cart before the horse, as the classic saying goes, of saying, I'm going to be a marathon or I'm going to jump into a marathon when you haven't properly prepared the body to be able to handle the distance at the speed that you're requiring it to perform at. Yeah. I think that's the, I think that's an important point to bring up. Like you can go run a mile, you can go run a marathon, but if your concern is performance, there's certain things that you need to attend to. If you're really going to optimize performance, it's not a matter of finishing. And if that's your goal, that's awesome. But if there's a performance component to that, yeah, just what you said, like you need to be able to, to do things at a certain intensity or capacity and prepare for that. Well, I think our goal of giving people more questions than answers was succeeded in this podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where right. We didn't give you any certain target mileage goal to hit yeah. or any way of get to that target mileage. But I think the key take home message here is like we said before, radio perceived exertion is very important. Yeah. The the way you progress certain stimuluses is very important. Yeah. There's no perfect model as to assume that one person is going to follow a linear versus a variable model. Yeah. Or that you should progress your overall volume versus the volume at which you're handling interval workouts versus a threshold workout versus a long run. Right. Like everything is contextual based on what your environment might entail yeah. and what your previous history might have indicated up to that point and what your target goals might be for the future. Yeah. And you have to kind of be willing and able to adapt very in the short term, but also with a long-term view of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. You have to pay attention. Hopefully we didn't confuse you more by saying it really depends, which is the classic answer in coaching and in healthcare. Yeah. Well, hopefully that, hopefully that liberates you from, to stop looking for the, the mileage, to know that like, it's just depends on the day, depends on the week. And you don't feel like you're missing out on something because you're not running 
triple digits or 40 miles a week or whatever it is, you can kind of liberate yourself from thinking you need to hit a certain mileage to improve. Consistency is boring. Yeah. But there's something beautiful in consistency. Right. And that's what I had. I had a collegiate runner in my office saying that like he just felt like this next summer he needed to get his mileage up to 80 to 90. Yeah. But he hasn't been able to hit 65 to 70 staying healthy. Right. And so my point to him first was, well, maybe stay consistent at hitting 70, 70. before even considering going up higher than that because mileage is not the silver bullet right it's the quality at which you're hitting that that mileage when your body is ready to increase exactly all right thanks guys for listening and we look forward to bringing you more content in the future